The Way Out Podcast, episode 343. What is your name? My name is Jim Downs, a.k.a. Big Jim, but now I am Pastor Jim Downs of Rock House Ministries and Programs in Spring City, Tennessee. Pastor Jim has a great ring to it, as does Big Jim. Amen. And I want y'all to know that we here on the Way Out Podcast had Big Jim on in our very early days when this podcast was a mere shadow of what it is today. But I always believed in sharing powerful recovery stories so that you could relate, so that you could find hope, so that you too could finally believe that you can recover and it's worthwhile to do so and big jim's story was amazing then and it's only gotten better so i'm super excited jim to have you on and uh we're going to talk a whole lot about what you're doing now before we do any of that we're going to get to the rest of our opening questions jim what was your substance of choice or doc my DOC was everything, but I was that Spicoli of uh, you stuck it in front of me and I did it. But I ended up really focusing on uh, I drew to two things. I drew to meth and I believe it or not, I drew to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I was the guy that couldn't get high enough, had all the tweaks, all the spasms, all the you know, tweaky, tweaky, oh, and uh, I drank to be able to cut that edge. So I sure. couldn't get high enough, so I drank. And then when I got too drunk, I did more dope to get high. A wicked combination and a wicked cycle, indeed. Absolutely, it was. It took me down a very, very, very deep, dark uh, hole into an abyss of destruction. The greater the fall, the more glorious the recovery. Come on, start preaching, brother. Jim, if you keep one, what is your clean and or sober date? I, I do keep one. My sober date is October 12th, 2015. That is the day that I put myself into a, um, into a, I put myself into a uh, detox. If my math is right, Jim, you have over seven years of continuous recovery. Seven years of continual sobriety, no mind or mood altering substances whatsoever. Even quit smoking cigarettes just a couple of weeks after that. Congratulations, brother. I too quit nicotine shortly after I got sober and that physical addiction brother was the hardest physical addiction i ever quit smoking is no joke i mean uh you know it's a crutch it's a thing listen we we always just like a baby we want to hold on to something that gives us comfort Mm -hmm. and i know one of the big uh one of the big things that people come into recovery is they ask uh they ask me are you a smoke free um recovery program and i tell them no i'm not uh you can actually smoke in my faith-based addiction recovery program 
um, because I believe it's God's timing that he'll remove all of those uh, those strongholds, those things that hold you back. Um, you know, it, it's if you want it, if you really want to have a clean and sober life and be completely clean and not fill your body full of toxins and full of junk and nasty stuff that this world wants to say, ooh, have a cigarette. It's going to calm your nerves. No, what's going to calm your nerves is step to the side, take a couple of deep breaths, have a little prayer, have a little conversation with God. Say, God, handle this situation. Get me back in here. You give me the strength. Let's go forward. And so it's just learning new behavior patterns and learning how to think things through and learning how not to have that street mentality or have that, you know, that lifestyle mentality. But really, you can let go of all strongholds if you just choose to learn a different approach to things. And then, then things don't hold you captive anymore. Now you own them. Absolutely. I love the fact that you allow nicotine and smoking in your program not because it's a healthy behavior because it's not but it's progress not perfection some people can quit everything all at once but i think those are the unicorns most folks me included it's a process and i continue to find counterproductive thought and behavior patterns that no longer serve me that i let go of you know, me, as you can, as you know, I'm a very, very spiritual person. I believe, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's my medicine. That is what has absolutely, without, without a doubt, worked for me. And um, was I brought up in that environment of God and the Word of God and Jesus and all that. No, I wasn't. Not until I went into this recovery program that introduced me to a relationship rather than a religious ideology. When I found a relationship with God, then I was able to start and build a foundation of my building with Him, between me and Him. And so how can I, how can I, as a, a true believer in Christ, a follower in Christ, how can I go out here and be identical to everyone else that has shut the door on addicts, looked at somebody with tattoos, looked at somebody with dreadlocks, with piercings, with all of that, and, and look at them and say, you're damned to hell. You'll be no good to us here in this church and expect, put expectations out on there that they're trying to play God. No, my job is to be the best example as I can be and have an understanding heart that, hey, you came here to stop using drugs. So we're gonna hold you accountable for that right off the rip. You're not gonna use drugs while you're here. You came here not to use alcohol. So guess what? We're gonna hold you accountable that you're not gonna drink, you're not gonna dope, Here's the standards right here. I understand it's a lot at one time, so we're not gonna tackle everything, right. but we're gonna attack right now what is keeping you from being the best version of yourself and finding the purpose in your life that is gonna drive you to success. So with me, I'm not your normal Pastor, as you know, brother, I'm, I was on the streets. I've been there, done that, did that, tried that. I'm not 
I'm not that guy that is going to throw and smack you with the Bible and say, you should understand this. You should understand this. It should be automatic. No, it isn't. Addiction happens over time. So guess what? Addiction happens over time. So does healing. There's a lot that needs to be done and it needs to be done over time. Everyone deals with tragedy and trauma in different ways. So um, am I going to stop someone from wanting to change your life because they want to smoke a cigarette? Absolutely not. Come on in. Guess what? Jesus is going to sit right next to you. And sooner or later, if, if willing, if your heart is open, he's going to convict you. He's going to help you. He's going to strengthen you. And he's going to remove all those strongholds that you don't want in your life anymore. Absolutely love that. And I always say, Jim, that I have an experience of God. My relationship with my higher power, with God, is based on my experience with God. That's based on prayer. That's based on meditation. That's based on working these spiritual principles in my life and implementing them on a daily basis. And that informs my understanding of God. But I didn't start with an understanding of God. I started with no understanding of God. And then I started praying and I started meditating and I started acting according to my understanding of God's will for me, which is just to be of maximum service to the people around me. That's it. Hold on a second. Check this. Let's rewind that a little bit. Do you remember the last, the last high? You remember your last high? My last drunk? Yes. Your last drunk, your last high, your last drunk. Do you remember there was a point that it was either during the drunk or it was when you woke up from the drunk that you said, I can't do this yes. anymore. God, if you're there, help me. Yes. There is always a point at some point that us that actually hit that I'm done. I can't do this. I'm going to die or, or, or something has to change. So we throw out, we throw out a line. We throw out a line praying to something we don't know is there. We don't know if it's possible. We don't know if God exists and we go, I can't do this. I'm just throwing it out there. And if you're there, you've got to grab a hold of it and you've got to pull me in. And that is when we have the experience. And when God, when we start feeling God pulling us out of that pit that we put ourselves in, cussing him the entire time, not believing in him, not knowing him, not doing what he's called within us to do. It doesn't matter. We're spitting in his face. We're doing all this living our absolutely horrible life. We destroyed our families. We destroyed the relationships with our parents, with our brothers, sisters, our kids, our wives, our husbands, all of that. And we didn't care. But all of a sudden we start feeling that tug of, hey, there's somebody trying to rescue me. And we have that experience. And then when we realize that, 
Now we're in a position to where we go, you got my attention. What do I need to do? And even it is a very, very slow process trying to trust something you can't touch, feel, you, you know, you, you don't know, you, you listen to what everyone else says, oh God ain't real, or that's just, that's just absolute crap, fairy tales, don't believe in that, you're your own God. Well, what people are missing out on is there is a fire within us, a spiritual inferno that is waiting to strengthen us, to be lit up and strengthen us and give us power over all this stuff that has been holding us back. And when we get that, when you had that experience, when you said, God, if you exist, get me out of this and I promise I won't do it again. We've said it many a times, but there is a point to where we finally say, all right, I'm actually going to try. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to listen to you. And through little itty bitty steps and a, and a long process, not a short process, we begin to trust God and we get, begin to have more experiences with God. And the more experiences that we have, the further and deeper our faith become. Well, let me read a little bit more about him. Let me see what he can do here. You know, God, I'm getting clean and sober. All right, I appreciate that. You know, I, I want to get a job. Can you make a way for me to get a job? And next thing you know, you got a job. And when you when you are really letting go and letting God in your life, hey, I'd like to see my kids. You know, I'm doing better. I got a job. I'm doing everything. Can you make a way for me to show my kids? Well, God will lead you down a way for you to be able to go and see your children again and be able to start creating a relationship and mending those relationships. That's how God works. It's a process. For some people, it might be, bam, Holy Spirit filled, you're done, you're clean, you're good to go, all that. But for most of us, it is a process because we filled our closet full of a bunch of years of junk. No doubt. Let go and let God is a wonderfully simple attitude and behavior to implement you're gonna love this next question jim how do you serve the recovery community ah i do love that question <clears throat> i serve the recovery community uh by being the best example that i can be for my brothers and sisters out there uh to be the evidence that they need the hope that they need that they can too uh uh they don't have to be held back by the addiction. Uh, they don't need to be held back by the drugs, the alcohol. They don't need to be held back. That there is a prosperous, beautiful, peaceful, love-filled life out here for every person that wants to stop the, the absolute insanity that crept up and took over us. And I do my best to be able to be the example for every person out there. Now, when I when I gave my life to the Lord in recovery, through a process, I found out what my purpose was. Hmm. It was a process I had no clue about. I was completely surrendering to everything. I surrendered to him. I surrendered my life. I said, I'm going to be a clean slate. I am a blank canvas. God, you're going to do with me as you will. And he did. He put me on this after I walked out of my recovery program after 14, 14 months, 16 months. 
um, uh, being in my recovery program, uh, clean and sober, a graduate, graduate something for the first time in my life. I walk out with everything on my back. It became media sensation on the East Coast. I walked from Panama City, Florida, all the way to Niagara Falls. And during that time, um, there was times where I was asked to come and speak. And that's how I ended up in Minnesota. I came to Minnesota and did a five-day speaking uh, event there that Christopher Falk put together. God bless him. I, I hope he's doing well. And um, I got to meet you, got to meet Keith Campbell, got to meet all my sober and serious brothers and, uh, and sisters. And, uh, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's been an amazing ride. And from there, you know, we walked, it took me eight months to walk. And, you know, you get to the end of it and you go, what's next? Right. Okay. We went, uh, went all the way back down to South Florida where our kids were and started a carpet, uh, uh, I mean, a tile installation, carpet installation company. And within a few, short few months, we had 130 houses on contract, new construction. We're blessed. We're rocking. We're making money. And it's like, wow, thank you. And, but they were still, I was still trying to come out and help the community and help my brothers and sisters. And um, next thing you know, God calls me again. He puts it on my heart. You're going to do it again. I said, you're crazy. I'm not walking again. He goes, yeah, you're going to do it again. You're going to go a lot further. And in 2019, I pedaled a bicycle around America. I pedaled a bicycle from Fort Myers, Florida, all the way up to Louisiana, then straight up to Iowa, over Nebraska, straight all the way down to Texas, all the way across over Arizona, New Mexico. I got sick on the ride. I had to come off the ride. I was in the hospital for almost a month. They couldn't figure out. They were treating me for tropical diseases when I picked up a biotoxin. I ingested a biotoxin in the desert in West Texas in a certain dirt that is it, it, it's a mold that grows in the dirt certain time of year and is airborne. I pedaled right through it and it put me in the hospital and almost took me out. But while I was in the hospital, the Holy Spirit hit me again and said, you are going to move to Spring City, Tennessee and build my house upon the rock. Upon doing so, I'll put everything in alignment. I'm like, man, I got that. Spring City, Tennessee. What's in Spring City, Tennessee? Well, that's the place where when I walked across Tennessee, I walked across Ray County, which is where Spring City is. I walked across Ray County with the high school students. And we went from the southern end to Spring City, 21 miles that day and they made a cross there they made a cross and they handed it to me and they said when we finished it and they said now you carry it the rest of the way um that's where my attachment to spring city is so to august 1st 2019 we come across the line into tennessee with 139 dollars in our hand didn't have a job didn't have a place Day, except one of the students that you that walked with me across Tennessee, across uh, Ray County, she moved off to college. Her parents said, "Hey, guess what? Olivia's off in college. You can have the upstairs where her room is." So we ended up with a place to stay. He uh, has his own construction company. He gave me a few side jobs. Within two months, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which is unheard of because it only took three weeks for them to approve it. It took me a month sitting in Hardee's 
using the Wi-Fi there, putting together all the bylaws and the, and the articles of incorporation and doing all that crazy stuff because I didn't know anything about it. Right. I had to study it and do it and put the whole packet together and it was approved within three weeks. So October 30th of 2019, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. December 17th, with hardly any work. And at that time, you'll remember our son Isaac attempted suicide and he shot himself in the head in a, in a drug-induced psychosis. And we spent a month and a half down in Florida with him fighting for his life, learning how to walk, talk, do everything again. And he survived. They said he wouldn't live. Praise God, he's alive today. He's living and he's doing so much better. And during that time, I had to fly back up here, December 17th, and I signed for a dilapidated church. I bought a dilapidated church property, paid cash for it. Don't tell me how I got the money. Don't have a clue how I raised up the money, but we paid cash for it. And then uh, flew back down, took care of Isaac and the family, got him back up here. And uh, a month later, it was in February, uh, late February, early March, raised up enough money to start remodeling. I started knocking out walls myself, just started building, started doing. Before we had bathrooms, before I had a kitchen built, I didn't even have a bed in this place. Women, ladies on the street started coming to us for help. They need a place to live. They, they need a chance to be able to start over. They wanted to help build. And so people that was coming to us for help were also pulling, tearing down walls and helping us build this place up. And we didn't know what to do, how to do it, where to do it, whatever. But all of a sudden, God started sending a plumbing company come in and put all brand new plumbing in the entire place. An electric company come in, put all new electric in this place. An AC company, AC and heating come in, put all new AC and heating in. It was just one thing after another. God kept on sending his people to us. And we, next thing you know, we've got, uh, we're, we're, Marty and I are now, I'm trying to transfer from building and walking and building and walking to now I'm teaching and sharing and doing all of this. And it was a lot. Marty and I were doing absolutely everything. And here we are today. And I know I'm gonna skip a big spot, but here we are today. Started with that one building. And now that one building is no longer for women. It's a men's program, a 30 bed men's program. Accredited by the Tennessee Department of Corrections, accredited by the Tennessee De Department of Behavioral Health, for as we are one of the few faith-based recovery resources in the state of Tennessee, and we have an entirely separate facility for women now. Not as big, more intimate, smaller. To be able to deal with, to help the ladies deal with their life issues. I've learned something, Charles. Women 
go through a lot more than us men did. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that, Jim. We've talked about that on this podcast a number of times. And uh, I just talked about that on a recent interview that's yet to be released. But you are absolutely correct. The amount of trauma that women experience coming out of addiction and into recovery is oftentimes far more than men on the whole experience. And I want to be careful and I want to be sure not to minimize that men do experience trauma. They do experience all manner of trauma. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But if you were to look at the numbers in comparison, yep. And you look at the 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 the, um, if you look at how ladies are traumatized from the beginning, they're totally different. Women think different than men. They act different than men. They speak woman. We speak men. Uh, The the tragedy and trauma that comes in their life is um i i've got to i want to say this but i'm like you said i'm not trying to downplay anyone else's but with our dealings with people our dealings with men and women they have a lot more weight that they try to carry themselves and they try to hide they try to suppress they don't want to go back they don't want to revisit they don't want to just put it away and forget about it and that weighs them down into a point to where they begin self-medicating at a young age or at any age because they don't want to feel anymore because it brings back those memories of having to deal with those things so ladies deal with a lot more losing their children having their children taken away from them being abused by men mentally physically emotionally verbally everything and um i once was a an abuser i once was a man that was very physical especially very verbal um, and I have, uh, I've had to learn the error of my ways and correct. Um, I was, I was an abusive guy and now, uh, I praise God that he has, um, uh, taken me down a pathway of learning, um, that size and mouth and root and all that kind of stuff is crap. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you a real man. And indeed, it's important to recognize that there are some unique needs for both men and women as they recover and to tailor programming that uniquely serve men and women, I think is absolutely amazing. And men need to learn how to be vulnerable with other men and women need to learn how to be vulnerable with other women. Yes. You know, and so to have those two separate programs, I think is really special. And I think I can't I can't teach a woman as a man how to deal with her emotions. I can't teach a woman how to be a woman, just like a woman cannot teach a man how to be a man. So it's extremely important that we recognize this in any program, in any program. 
um, life recovery program dealing with anything, life controlling issues, addiction, uh, domestic violence, uh, dealing with abuse, dealing with uh, gambling, dealing with, it doesn't matter. When you're dealing with a life controlling issue, every single person needs to make sure that the person that is trying to help them has walked in the shoes that they've walked in some way. So I think it's important for every person out there when you're going into, when you're going out and you're looking for help that you find the the place, just don't listen to anyone. Find a place that is going to be able to relate with you on a personal, on, a, on an intimate level with understanding that everyone's tragedy and trauma is dealt with the individual differently. And everyone doesn't just get it at the same time. Some people need more time. Some people need less time. And that's why it is so important, Charles, that, that we look at every single person that is reaching out for help, for life recovery of any kind, addiction recovery, understand that they have gone through stuff differently and they are unique and they are they have to they have to address their tragedy and traumas in their own unique way at their pace. Indeed, my friend. Last question before we launch into the main part of the interview, Jim. What does recovery mean to you? Life. Absolute life. Before before I um, come into recovery, I was dead. I was dead. I was dead to the world. I was dead to myself. I was dead to people. Um, but when I became clean and sober and with me, when I let Jesus Christ come into my heart and into my life, I had something greater than me that gave me life, gave me opportunity, gave me strength when I didn't have it, gave me everything that I needed to be able to prosper in, in this and start to breathe and start to to look at i've got energy now man i've got so much energy where i didn't have energy before now i can't you can't shut me up i can't wait to get out here every morning i wake up between 4 30 and 5 in the morning and every morning i am excited about life i'm excited about what i got to do today i'm excited regardless if i'm not feeling well if i'm sick not regardless if i'm tired it doesn't take me long to get excited about what god has in store for me today and i'm able to go out here and share my life story and share my recovery experiences and be able to lift somebody up and see God do miracles every day. I love life. So the greatest thing I've ever gotten to do is to take a deep breath in, in sober sobriety in life and breathe and understand just how fragile and sweet life really is. Recovery is life and that my friend yes. is beautiful welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast we appreciate your ears our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jump start or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction the Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, 
online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, I'm pleased to bring you my interview with the one and only Pastor Jim Downs, formerly known as Big Jim Downs, who appeared on this here podcast in one of our very early episodes when this podcast was in its infancy. His story was amazing then, and it's only become more amazing since. Pastor Jim shares his journey to and through recovery to this point with us, as well as the amazing things he's doing with Rock House Ministries. Though Pastor Jim has dropped the big from his name, he in no way has stopped the big things he's doing for the recovery community. So listen up. Pastor Jim Downs, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule helping people recover to join us here on the Way Out podcast. I can't thank you enough, brother. I'm so excited to get into your journey to and through recovery to this point and talk all about Rock House Ministries and how you are helping people recover from addiction and alcoholism before we do any of that. Why don't you take a quick moment to reintroduce yourself to the Way Out Podcast audience and we'll get started. Hey, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast land. My name is Jim Downs. You guys might have remembered me. I was on one of the first uh, episodes of the Way Out Podcast, Walking Across America. You guys might have known me as Big Jim. I'm no longer that self-righteous, entitled guy. <laughs> I am Pastor Jim Downs. I am just a, a humble man out here trying to make a difference in this world, uh, saving lives and saving little souls, and I give God all the glory for what he's done in my life, man. And I am I can't tell you, brother, how 
how happy I am that we um, I was asked to come back on here and share again. 300 episodes later, brother. Uh, amazing. I'm excited to, to, to share with everyone what's gone on from a walk. Uh, and and just sharing hope to where we're at today, brother. I, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me on. I absolutely love having you, Pastor Jim, which just has a tremendous ring to it's it. Remind day. us, <laughs> Jim, what was your journey to and through recovery like? Um. <sighs> Well, I was in such a bad place, 34 years of addiction, 34 years of, uh, I ruined five marriages, I was abusive, I was addicted to meth and alcohol, I was addicted to, well, I was the Spicoli of, of, uh, of addiction, you put it in front of my face, I would do it, uh, you know, I was in and out of jail, I never went to prison, but I'd done Tons and tons of county time that I am not happy of. Um, and uh, my life was basically, it had no, it had no purpose. It had nothing. I would wake up to get high or I wouldn't go to sleep and just lock myself in a room with a, with, with a, you know, I was a womanizer and a lot of dope and I would lock myself in the room and darken out the windows and I didn't want to be out in the world. You know, I was just... I was withering away. I was decaying. I was, I was a waste of flesh. And, and, you know, it just, it got so bad to a point. I was the most controlling, ridiculous idiot. I'm going to just say it, man. I was not a nice guy. I was an idiot and I hated everyone and everyone hated me. And it finally come to a point hanging out, uh, passed out upside down on a front porch somewhere in Panama City that wandering around not knowing where I was that I had to find some kind of help and immediately I was like okay I'm going to take con- control of the situation and I'm going to go check myself into detox and if I just get clean and sober for a few days then I'm going to be good um and uh, so I did that. I went into detox and normally it's a three day detox. But they kept me for seven. And this is back in 2015. Uh, October 12, 2015 is that was that day I checked myself into detox. And I'll never forget the doctor telling me um, a couple of days after I was there about my blood work as I as I went in there. And he said, uh, he was a little um, uh, uh, Middle Eastern, Pakistani, Indian, don't know, such a smiling, happy doctor in such a bad, horrible place. But he was so happy. And uh, here you go. And Mr. Jim, here you go. Look at this. How are you today? I want to show you this. Let me show you, okay? Look at this. You see these right here? These are numbers. This is normal, okay? Do you see all these red things here? Okay, that's bad. That's bad. That's not normal. Okay. You are going to die. <laughs> that right there. There you go. You need to go into recovery, long-term recovery. If you don't, you're going to die. Okay. Your stuff is failing. Thank you very much. Have a good day. And it was just like that. 
And it smacked me in the face. Here this guy is so happy, so kind, so beautiful, and he just told me that my days are numbered. Right, and he served you the straight truth. Straight truth, no, no contradiction. <laughs> he would just, hey, how you doing? Come on in. Guess what? You're a dead man walking. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Very good. Uh, you and, keep doing uh, what you've been doing. You ain't going to be doing it for much longer. For much longer. He was telling me my, 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 my body was starting to fail. He was yeah. showing signs of that. Yeah. And so I started looking around for a recovery program. And every recovery program I called from the middle, I was up in the panhandle. Yeah. And every recovery program I called within the 300-mile radius would not accept me because I didn't have uh, insurance and I didn't have $30,000 up front. And a friend of mine uh, said they found the rescue mission there had a free faith-based addiction recovery program. And I was like, man, I don't want no faith-based, man. I don't, want, I don't need no Jesus. I don't need no God. I don't need none of that. I don't, I don't want all that kind of stuff. That's just ridiculous. And, uh, well, it was the only resort I had. It was, and it was the only thing that I had to go to. So I called him, and uh, he said, uh, you know, once you, before you walk out of there, you call me. We'll see if we have a bed for you. And if you do, you're just a few blocks away. I expect you to be here within 15 minutes. So I did, and I got there, and I walked in with a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. Because I didn't want God. Mm -hmm. And I walked in with an attitude, and he told me, I don't like your attitude. I don't know if I'm going to let you in. And I said, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm here for help. And I don't feel that I need God. He goes, that's why I'm going to help you right there, because I am going to let you in, because that's the opposite. You do need God. And so he took a chance on me and he let me in. And for uh, for a few weeks, man, I walked around there, prison walk, walked right down the middle. You got out of my way or I was going to run you over. I had a big chip on my shoulder. I was just, I was, I was just a real big douchebag. I'm just going to say it, man. I was not a nice guy. I was horrible. I was rude. I was condescending. I was hateful. Everyone hated me and I hated everyone. And it was all, that was just great. And, uh, you know, it, it, God started working on me and how he started working on me was by taking away the cigarettes. You know, uh, I was out there sitting on the uh, park bench out in the back in the smoke pit, having a cigarette on Halloween. And I'm watching all the parents and the kids walk by and they're going to downtown Spookaboo. And uh, I'll never forget this. God out of nowhere spoke to me, and I heard him loudly and clearly, and he said, I want you to quit smoking. And I choked up off that bench and went to cussing him. Freaked me out. <laughs> God started speaking to me, telling me I'm going to quit smoking, and I immediately started fighting him. You're not going to take these smokes from me. You're not going to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And he said, don't worry about the cravings. I'll take care of the cravings. I want you to stop smoking. I'm going to die with one of these in my mouth. You can't do it. You're not real. Boy, I just lost it. And everyone's backing up and freaking out. And I said, they were like, I told you that guy was going to go nuts. I told you he was. <laughs> and finally, God said, uh, God gave me my first scripture in my head. He said, ye of little faith. And I took that as a challenge. Oh, you're challenging me. I got you. 
So I walked over to a guy named Sean and I gave him my full pack of cigarettes with a lighter. And I said, God just told me to quit. I'll be back in an hour for a cigarette because he never had cigarettes. I just <laughs> gave him a whole pack. I'm back in an hour for a cigarette. I didn't have a cigarette the rest of the night. Next morning, I woke up. What's the first thing a smoker wants? A cigarette. A cigarette. Absolutely. I woke up going, oh, yeah, I want a cigarette. An hour went by. Yep, I'm going to have a cigarette anytime. Another hour went by, and I'm watching everyone outside before class having a cigarette. And I'm standing at the door, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, I don't want a cigarette. I don't even want to be out there. And it freaked me out because God just did something, and I challenged him that he couldn't do. He couldn't take away my smoking, and he did it in just one day. Right then and there, when I handed them over to Sean, I guess is when it happened. So it was instantaneous. From that minute forward, I started developing a relationship with him my way because I'm a control freak. I'm going to be in control of things. So I'm going to develop this relationship with God my way. And through a series of events, through things that happened, um, some really difficult things, such as um, what my best friend in recovery relapsed, my best friend roommate, um, my basically my mentor, you know, he relapsed. And um, I spent five days in the hospital with him. He, re he relapsed and they, you know, he had a choice to fall back or, or leave the program. He chose to leave three weeks later. He's in the bed in the hospital on a vent. And he was on a vent for five days. I was in the hospital with his with his uh, mom, his fiance, and his sister for five days. I got close to him. We were close. We were bros. And uh, you know they had to pull the plug on him. And his mama pulled me in the room after they pulled the plug on him. And he was going through the process, short and shallow. And uh, I'll never forget. Mama leans over him and says, "Now you pray for him." And I prayed for my brother Alex as he took his last breath. And immediately that lit a fire in me that I knew exactly what I was to do for the rest of my life, which was to try my best to keep any other person from needlessly overdosing, dying from addiction, to keep any mother or father from having to bury their son, any fiance or wife or, or, or husband to having to bury their spouse, or any brother or sister having to bury a brother or sister, and on and on. And that's where my purpose, I knew clearly what my purpose in life was, was to come out, use my experiences through my life, and to share with them, to save them from the insanity of hell that they're living in. Just do my best to be a good example and to just share my story and just have common ground with them. Not try to come out and think in any way that I'm better than anyone, but to let them know, no, I was a horrible, horrible person. And uh, I'd love to be able to just have a conversation with you to see what I can do to be able to help you. What help do you want? And so my mission has been ever since then to save every life from addiction, save every life I can from needless overdose, to be a big, big mouth out here advocating that people can change their life, that they can 
live a life without drugs and alcohol, and he can be successful in everything that Satan has taken from you, God will give it back to you tenfold and make a massive, massive difference in your life. And I'm here to help people understand that uh, that uh, recovery is real and recovery is possible. Pastor Jim, that is so beautiful in so many ways, not the least of which is you walking into that faith-based program wanting nothing to do with mm-hmm. God, wanting nothing to do with people. Nope. You hated everybody, everybody hated you, and you walked out of that program with an experience of God that you still have today, and you formed a beautiful relationship with Alex and tragically lost him to the guy that hates everybody, Mm -hmm. everybody hates him, that wants Mm -hmm. nothing to do with God, walks out of that place losing a friend and gaining a transformational relationship with God and a purpose. Well, you know, it it is. And I'm going to, I've had to come to a, a, I've had to come to an understanding with God. God, why would you take Alex? Mm -hmm. Alex was so awesome. Why would you take him? And I have come to this realization and this understanding. God had to use Alex. He prepared Alex. He prepared me all for that culminating moment to Alex's last breath. To where if it if God wouldn't have used Alex in the way that he did. Then since then, the lives that myself and my wife Marisol have been out. um, That we have encountered. I believe Alex right now has saved over 10,000 people because of his um, of his uh, sacrifice. Mm. That's what it is. Alex sacrificed himself. God called him. I know he's home. I know he's up there in heaven. He beat me there. I'm great with that. I know his heart. I know he was saved. I just know that he was a um, he was an addict, man, and he was held back by it. Been in nine different programs. He was a professional wrestler. He was, uh, you know, he's uh, he was a little person, and and so from the age of sixteen, he was he was in the ring as a little guy. His body hurt. The only thing he knew how to take care of pain, yeah, him especially being a little person with his skeletal system and everything was, you know, I, my I I know pain pills. Yeah, that's what I know. Yeah, and he, you know, and God used. Alex in such a way that it manifested his life, his legacy was just thrown into me and became purpose. And because of Alex and and the short time that we were together, which was less than 10 months, um, it touched me so much that it drove me into a purpose. I know what my assignment from God is. I know what he has. I knew immediately on his last breath, on his exhale, on that last one, that my life was forever changed, that I was going to be out here saving lives 
saving souls and helping as many people as I can make a difference and make a change in their life. It's absolutely beautiful and an amazing way to honor Alex in your work, Pastor Jim. So let's talk about your work because one of the most amazing things that you do is you work hard every day to be the best example of recovery you can be on a daily basis. And that's my mantra, man. That's how I live is to try my level best every day to be the best example of recover. And I really feel like that's how I can help the most, right? I can take it into my house. I can take it into my work. I can take it everywhere. Um, and look, some days are better than others. Um, uh, I was not uh, washed pure and clean as the driven snow um, uh, uh, post-recovery. However, I fundamentally believe if we are being the best examples of recovery, we can be on a daily basis to our brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. That's right. Come on. And we're sharing our stories. We're recovering out loud. Then we have the ability to be able to truly serve our brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. So tell me about the work, brother. Tell me about what we're doing today. Today, praise God. Today, uh, we have uh, created a ministry, a faith-based addiction recovery ministry that is like no other addiction recovery um, we do things, we don't follow trends, we don't follow the book, we do it the way us that have been through it feel that it works. I'm not following uh, these little, here you go, first you've got to do, you've got to do the ACEs assessment, then we're going to have to go in deep, and we're, we're going to start at step one, and we're going to go through all this. We don't do it that way. I don't believe somebody can truly be free from addiction recovery, clean and sober in four walls, without learning at the same time how to live a life outside of recovery, outside of getting recovery. So we address all the social issues that come from addiction at the same time as we're dealing with the issues and the byproducts from addiction. Mm. Totally different concept. So I'm grateful and I'm thankful to say that Marisol and I uh, are the founders of Rock House Ministries and Programs based here in Spring City, Tennessee. And we have a 30-bed in-house residential men's recovery program. It's six months until you get it. I don't have a cutoff date. I'm not going to have a cutoff date. I'm not going to do that. It's six months. Here you go. Six months. We're going to spend six months. But until whenever. If you graduated six months, you got it. Amen. We feel that you got it. You don't get to graduate until 
you have really shown us that you are really rocking this thing. Yeah. And it's amazing. And so Rock House not only has a 30-bed program for men, that's our first facility. We have a second facility that we opened uh, just about nine months ago, eight months ago. We now have a 12-bed facility for women as well. And we take the same concept. If you look at every person that comes through the door, instead of looking at them with the expectations of they're going to follow our plan from A to Z, you look at them and go, here is normally what happens with every person as they go through it. They're going to have, they're going to come through the door afraid of the unknown. We need to address fear. They need to, they're going to come and they're, they're going to be afraid of, of losing family and what's going on out there. Well, let's introduce them to a new family that's here to hold them up and support them during this. So the objective with, with that we have is we deal with, we, we take recovery. For example, we, we believe recovery is like a big pot of stew. The ingredients that we have are ever changing. The world out here is changing constantly. The drugs, the alcohol, everything is changing. I mean, look at this. You, you know, back in my days, uh, when I first started, it was peanut butter crank. Right. It was, you know, maybe angel dust every once in a while. Uh, that was the thing back in my, that was the heavy. Now you got stuff as bad as Frankenstein. And then you got fentanyl and car yeah. fentanyl and people yeah. are wanting to die. They're wanting to do so much dope and get so high that they carry six, six, uh, administrations of Narcan. So dude, I'm popping me hard. I mean, here's, here's my six. Go ahead. Then, you know, no. The mentality of addiction has gone too far. And and we they don't know that they have hope. They're completely hopeless. They think that they've got to die. And, and they're willing to. They're willing to die. There's not enough resources out here. There's not enough going on in rural America. That is a beautiful thing, Pastor Jim, that you've got a facility in rural America which is in desperate need of treatment facilities, of recovery programming. Is it, and is it fair to say, Pastor Jim, that Rock House Ministries and Programs takes a personalized approach to recovery services in that you're meeting the person where they are and determining what their holistic needs are, not just the addiction, but other needs as well, whether that be mental health, whether that be living needs, whether that be other social needs, you're providing community. So some of those needs are addressed. Is that a fair way to characterize how you approach it? Yes. Um we we look at each person that comes through the door as an individual each person has to has different um they've got all different kind of hurdles and barriers and detours and everything that they've got to deal with from their past to become a successful addition to society clean and sober 
can I just say, Pastor Jim, that I am so grateful that Rock House Ministries and God bless the organizations that have come up with a process that they've named that's an acronym and is their secret sauce. And can I just be grateful that you all don't do that because we don't need another acronym based process that's going to just cure everything. (laughs) No, what we need is, um, you know, when you, when you hear a lot of people talk about evidence-based and this kind of stuff, it's immediately, it goes secular. It goes that way. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me that we want to say we want to include everything, all-inclusive, all-inclusive, but we won't allow a spiritual healing at the same time. And I've, I've got to say, when somebody comes through the door, if they don't have a relationship with God, praise God. Amen. I am absolutely, wonderfully perfect with that. You're in the right place. Because if you're ever to get a personal relationship with God, then you need to have religion and man's ideology out of the way. Mm. I encourage every person that comes through the door to search themselves, what do you want out of life? What are you missing? What needs to be done? How can things be changed? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, with my experience, let me show you this. Here's this thing called the Bible. I want you to research everything that you can to prove me wrong in anything that I say. I want you to become an an intelligent researcher. I want you to find out information for yourself. If I say anything that makes your ears go, what's okay? I don't know if I agree with that. Awesome. Then let's let's go and let's research it together. Did you know that it's not just the Bible? It's not just the Bible. So everyone wants to say Bible, Bible, Bible. Guess what? I'm if I'm not mistaken, there are 39 other historical. Yes historical libraries that recorded that has uh, recordings of everything that's gone on that's in the bible there are uh atheists some of the most uh, renowned atheists and agnostics that have now come to a point of okay jesus was, was there he did his thing awesome so let me get back before i go off on a rabbit trail when someone comes through that door I want them, the very first thing I want them to do is feel loved. Love conquers fear. And if they feel that they are walking on common ground with another person, then those barriers of trust, those barriers, those walls that we have built over time, being out on the streets in our dirt doing what we did, those walls will come crumbling down twice as fast. And so this program that we've developed is a peer-run program Mm. the brothers and sisters that are in this are the ones that are helping them come out of it as they come through the door i love that it's not done by anyone i don't have one single person on my staff that has been to college for substance use disorder i don't have one single person on my staff that is a doctor or a psychologist of substance use disorder. 
addiction. I don't have that. I have a doctor of Christian counseling that is readily available for anyone that wants it at any given time. Boom. You want to talk to somebody a little bit more than what I got? I got your back. I want you to have that. I have a bunch of misfits and hoodlums who have worked hard to be able to get where they're at, to live a clean and sober life continually and continually strive to better their lives are the ones that are reaching back, bringing forward the brothers and sisters and helping them out of their mess. How are they doing it? Through life experiences. They were doing it for the ladies that have dealt with rape, that have dealt with molestation, who have dealt with all of those tragedies and traumas that has put another one into a mindset of, I need to not feel, I don't want to see, I don't, I want to be in a different reality. They're the ones that help that person up out through their experiences. See, what we do at Rock House is everyone has to have skin in the game. Every single person that comes to us has to realize, I am not going to do the work for you. You got to do the work. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to work right alongside you. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to, um, that I'm going to swing for the fences. When you go to war, I'm going to war with you. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to fight for you. You have to do the fighting and I'm going to fight with you. When you fall, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to brush you off. I'm going to put my boot in your butt, and I'm going to get you back in the fight again. That's how we're going to do this. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're going to fight, and we're going to fight strong, and we're going to do this. But we're going to do it together as a family. We're going to do this together, understanding that each person has having to deal with emotions that have been locked up for a long time. We've got people, you know, I, I'm accredited by the Tennessee Department of Corrections. And because of that, we receive a lot of people coming out of prison. We receive a lot of people coming out of jails. And they haven't, they've been in there for 15, 18, 20 years, sometimes 30 years. They don't know how to act as right. a human being out here on the streets. And so we give them all the tools by surely saying, hey, man, we get it. We understand there's a lot on your shoulders right now. The first thing you need to do is 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 just take a deep breath and understand that you're around a lot of other brothers and sisters that love you, that have walked on similar paths, have similar shoes and understand in similar circumstances. So whatever you're going through, we can go through together and maybe my experiences will be able to help you through yours. That's absolutely beautiful, Pastor Jim, because what you're doing is you're offering community and you're offering purpose. And the beautiful thing about recovery, especially a peer-based model, is that when you're coming into that environment, you have a bunch of folks that have been there and been through it. And they thought like you thought, they used like you used they drank like you drank. They felt like you felt and they got better. And they're sharing with you how they got better. And so they're bringing those folks along. And then once you're at a point where you've gone through it yourself, you have a beautiful opportunity to be able to serve and be of value and have purpose by helping others then 
recover too. And that, my friend, is absolutely beautiful. Recovery is it's it's not selfish, it's selfless. And a lot of these recovery programs, you know, I man, you know, Charles, I've been across nation from south to north, from east to west. I've I've probably been to over 500 recovery programs, shelters, missions, organizations. I spoke all over the place. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to be able to share with you. I've seen a lot and a, a lot of the questions that Madi and I would ask the people that that were there is what's working here? Yeah. What's working for you? And then the other question we would ask is what's not working? Yeah. <clears throat> and the model that we have come up with is when a person is given an opportunity to get clean and sober and it doesn't cost them a penny, it doesn't take any effort, it doesn't have they have no responsibility in it. The recidivism rate is massive. Mm. It's huge. Mm. I, I'm serious, yeah, brother. I mean, if you look at this, you look at the people that have insurance, okay? God bless them for having insurance. And they um and they're able to go to these 30-day recovery programs, these 28-day models, shall we say. And um I okay, so I'm gonna put a disclaimer, I'm gonna put a warning up here. I am a massive advocate against this, and I'll explain why if you'll allow me. Please. I am completely and totally against the recovery, money-making, billion-dollar industry. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely ridiculous that they get to play judge and jury, say what works, people get to come in in a revolving door and you hear story after story after story how an individual has been to the same treatment program four, five, six times and they're still in the same boat. But now they're looking for something different because it didn't work. But they promised as you walked out the door 28 days later because you're at maximum time up, if you need us, we're here for you. Come back. We'll be more than happy to help you. It's all a racket and people need to open their eyes and understand that when they put a time limit on how you heal, it is a crock of crap. People need time to heal. An infection does not heal in three days or one day or some days, seven days. So how can a recovery, well, here we go. Oh, I'm going to get on somewhere now. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to use their science against them right now. Against the secularized billion dollar recovery industry. Here it is. They say now that a person that has been a long-term methamphetamine user, their brain will not function appropriately for nine to 18 months mm -hmm. from their clean date. And, and we're so talking about post we're talking about post-acute withdrawal syndrome, right? Yep. Correct. So check this out. Then how can you tell me that your 28 days that you are charging $30,000 for is going to bring a person out of the fog to think appropriately when you tell them to call us if you need any help? I am completely against this billion dollar industry. 
I think that there should be a clause in there that if anyone is in this for profit and they're profiteering on, on somebody's sickness, there should be a fair recovery act installed federally and a national level that every single business out there that is treating for addiction recovery should provide 20% of their bed space for free and give them the exact same treatment as they would someone paying $30,000 for 28 that. days. I love that. And Pastor Jim, to your point, so... <laughs> I think it brings up a really good point. And here's why. I'm very fortunate I went to Hazelden and I got a lot of time in Hazelden because my now ex-wife allowed me to stay on her really great insurance, even though she hated my guts, <laughs> for well over six months. And... I needed that and I needed the support and I needed all of it. And that was critical. And I'm acutely aware that it is the few, not the many, that have that privilege. I'm also acutely aware that not everybody can afford a Hazelden. And there are many other treatment programs, 28-day variety that one might think of as a mill where they are more interested in receiving the payment for the 28-day stint than they necessarily are producing long-term people in recovery. And it is a for-profit business. And those two things often work against each other. The forces of profit often work against what you need to do in order to really effectively address all of the needs of the human being. Right? All right. So I'm, I'm making a note right there about affordability because I want to come back to that. Because you're right. I mean, it's difficult for people to afford you were blessed with that ability to be where you were yep if 95 percent of the people that reach out for help are denied imagine those that reach out for help and they're denied and that's fact 95 percent. that was the last number i saw 95 percent of every person that goes to a hospital and says i need help for any reason whatsoever are denied the help then uh, I'm going to go down a pathway. 95% of that. Now, imagine those that have the insurance okay, that only are allowed to have that 28-day. They don't have that really good program. They don't have that program that really dives in to the root cause. Why are you an addict? Why are you different than everyone else? Why do you want to medicate yourself? Why do you not want to feel? Getting down to causes and conditions, and that's Come exactly on, what Hazelden did for me, was got down to causes and conditions, and I was able to do EMDR therapy along with a 12-step recovery program, and it unlocked my recovery. And again, I'm acutely aware that it's the few, not the many, that have the privilege to experience that. But now let's go over to this because I've got something to say about the faith-based uh, recovery programs out there. 
I want you. Do you got your Google up right there? Can you Google something real quick for me? I sure can, Pastor Jim. Amen. I want you to Google up the federal definition of human trafficking. I want you federal definition human trafficking. Here's my Googling right now. Googling some some definitions. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. I want you to read that. Human trafficking, also known as trafficking in persons, is a crime that involves compelling or coercing a person to provide labor or services or to engage in commercial sex acts. The coercion can be subtle or overt, physical or psychological. Exploitation of a minor for commercial sex is human trafficking, regardless of whether any form or force, fraud or coercion was used. So it's not just about sexual trafficking. It's about slavement for working for somebody without receiving, coercing a person for labor, coercing, exploiting. So let me attack the faith-based end of this, the ones that claim that we are a faith-based program. We're going to provide you services for free. Mm-hmm. Come to us. We're, we want you to come into our program because we're going, to, uh, we're going to provide everything for free. That is a lie. The top ones, and I, 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 I'll, I don't know if I should say, but we're, I'm going to because I'm that guy. Any of them out there that change, that make you work for them, making crafts, making T-shirts, going out in front of stores and gas stations, exploiting your hustling, dope-selling skills to be able to provide for your stay, you're paying your way. They are exploiting them and making them work for them in order to receive services. They're not giving them a paycheck. They're not paying them a paycheck. They're having them work for free in thrift stores. In front of gas stations, they make crafts on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and they go out and hustle them on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Let me tell you something, Charles. I'll be the first one to admit it. I almost fell into that. I bet. I mean, think about it. How are you going to support? How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to support this? Right. Because the big dogs out here, the the ones that that are doing all this, they're running in and getting all the grant money. They yeah. can afford the big lawyers. They can afford yeah. the big grant writers. They can afford all that. How does a small one make it? I'm here to tell you, they are a sham. Anyone that says that you have to work for them and make them profit for them to be able to help you, that's that's all a money-making scandal. And it's against the law. When you look into the federal definition, again, the first line that you said, exploitation. They are exploiting a person to go out. You've got to go do services, and I'm not going to pay you a penny, but for me to be able to feed you, 
to house you. Like I told you, you get to come to us and it's free. No, it's not. You're now an enslaved, you're an indentured servant. You're an indentured servant. I mean, Pastor Jim, it sounds a lot like what happens with children immigrants that come across the border and these adult, the adults that are in charge of their care that they're released to indenture them and say, you have to work in this factory or on this farm for your food, for your housing, and for the cost it took to bring you over here. And it sounds exactly like that. But here's the thing. They are using the covering of this is for God. We're doing this in the name of God. So we can do it because it's a God thing. It's a lie. That is the devil all day long because they don't have the opportunity to be able to say, I can't afford this. Okay, then guess what? You get to tag 6,000 garments a day. You have to make that happen or you are not going to be allowed to be in the program. But it's a God thing. And that's what we're doing. People need to wake up. And I can tell you exactly how to fix this. It is so simple. All these big, nationally known, faith-based ministries that do this platform need to be shut down or they need to be They need to change their approach. It's not about the mighty dollar. It's about the one. It's not about bringing home a profit. What it's about is saving a life from addiction. It's not about how many more program buildings can we buy? How many more farms can we have? How many more thrift stores can we own to drive in more money so my CEO can make $4 million a year? It ain't about that. It's about saving a person out of the pits of hell. That's what it's about, about saving another life, about giving them an opportunity that they don't have and they can't afford. And I think, I, I believe that we have come up with the resolution for this. I really do. I believe my wife parents all just come around the corner looking like, what? You're getting hyped up. I am. I believe we've come up with a resolution. It's called skin in the game. You know what a man wants? You know what a man's program to do? A man's program to protect and provide. That's what a man is programmed by God to do. We like to work and we like to make sure that our loved ones are protected. When you come out of when you come out of uh, out of jail or you you come off the streets, the first thing a man wants to do is start getting healthy, wants to get big and buff again, wants to get body right. They want to get big so they can protect. They want to get a job. They got to get their hands dirty. They want to get working because they want to make that dollar. They want to be able to, to grow. They know it takes money. That's what a man's programmed to do. And with men, we've come up with a way to be able to do this. Affordable way. An affordable way to where anybody anybody can afford recovery you know how 
Charles, what's the average? Look up the average right now. We got Google going on. We Look sure do. Look up the average monthly stay for a, for a residential recovery program. The cost? Just get just get a uh, huh? The cost? Anything. Yeah, cost. What is it? What is the average cost nationally for a thirty day program? Googling right now. Oh, here we go. All right, all right, all right. This is uh we're gonna we're gonna quote this. This is drughelpline.org. Okay. Um the cost of rehab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> intense intensive outpatient. Thirty one hundred thirty one hundred to ten thousand. Okay. That's outpatient. Impatient, fifty three hundred to eighty thousand dollars. Say that again. I want everyone to hear that. I want to hear him to the the low to the high. Fifty three hundred to eighty thousand dollars per thirty days. That's right. And another statistic says that res average residential treatment comes out to forty two thousand five hundred. There it is. There's the number we're going to work from right there. Do you think that's fair? $42,000. let us let us just drop it to $40,000. Just make it real simple. Okay? What if I told you that I could take an individual, I could get them, they walk through the door, I could help them get all their identifiers, their driver's license, social security card, birth certificate. I could help them with their legal issues. I work closely with the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Anybody in the state can transfer here to Tennessee to go into my program. We can help facilitate that. And we work closely with probation and parole. They love us. We work good with them. And we can help you go through the transition of being on probation parole and being in a program. How about medical? How about being able to see doctor? Get your teeth fixed because with me, you said the last time you saw me, brother, my teeth was messed up. I had a big old tooth missing and everything. Remember that? Look at that. I got I a sure big old do. teeth now. I got I got <laughs> a big old beautiful grin. So I got we can work with dental, optical, people getting glasses, all this. Hold on, we're gonna keep going. Now let's start dealing with child support. Let's deal with the the, the legal system financial obligations that you may have. When you're in a program, a 30-day program like that, do they address any of those issues? They do not. They do not. They expect the world to stop around the individual, and the world does not stop. So when you come out of your 30-day setup that you've been in, now you've got the weight of 30 days plus everything that you had before is piled on, and nothing has been done. And you just paid $40,000 to sit and have three meals a day, a place to sleep, and somebody to whisper in your ear, recovery, first step, here you go, learn it. Now, hold on, I'm gonna go further. How about job placement? How about a person finding a job? How about this, me, my, my, my recovery program, finding a person that gets excellent pay, not fair pay, not good pay, excellent pay. Here in Tennessee, 
but a person making $15, $16 an hour to start here in Tennessee, that's really good pay. I've got guys in my program that started at $15, $16 that are making $25 an hour right now. And in rural Tennessee, that's a significant wage. I'm willing to transport my guys 45 minutes to a factory that now has said they love Rock House so much, they only hire Rock House guys for first shift, period. They're in there making bush hogs and heavy equipment every day. And every time a position comes open, they call Rock House and say, hey, we got a spot open because they know that we work from this time to this time. Now, check this out. Imagine you're teaching them how to be able to handle money that you've teamed up with the local bank that immediately, no questions asked, gives them a checking and savings account. Mm. No questions asked. And you teach them financial responsibility, such as you got to pay your bills, brother. We got to pay our bills. So you're going to learn to deposit your money. You're going to learn to use a check registry. You're going to keep your account or use your mobile phone, use your mobile app, watch your money, and you're going to learn to pay your bills on time. What are those bills, Jim? The normal bills are, you ready for this? Here it is, the number one bill. How much was that number? $40,000 a month is what they were charging? 42,500. My program charges a program fee of $800 a month and we provide transportation and everything, everything that I told you for $800 a month. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm glad, I am so glad uh, to hear that this is a holistic program. You're really, it's like built, this is providing built-in social services. Yes. We're dealing with the entire, it's not just dealing with addiction recovery. Which is so important because, which is so important because addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum. And to your point, how do I focus on my substance use, on my addiction, on my alcoholism, on my mental health if I'm worried about child support, if I'm worried about my PO, if I'm worried about where I'm going to uh, find a job, if I'm worried about trying to get a driver's license, if all of that stuff is eaten away at me, I can't very well focus on my recovery. You're exactly right. And so the way that I was kind of given this this revolutionary way, which is so simple, it is so easy. You're setting people up for success, not failure. Mm. And the way that we have this, it's amazing. You come in, yeah, you got a little bit of a 14-day to 28-day blackout time. You got to concentrate on yourself. Don't need outside noise. We're going to get all your identifiers during that time. We're going to really dig in on a a brother-to-brother level, on a sister-to-sister level. We're going to dig in, and we're going to tear down those walls, and we're going to get to the root of the issue as quickly as possible so we can pull out that nasty infection and really start growing together. See, it's not about a statistic. It's about an individual that has, it is grasping onto the threat of life. 
that is at their last straw. You don't know what their next move is. Their next move might be trying to go out and, and triple up on a dose and be able to get rid of it all and just OD and die because they can't take it no more. We need to stop looking at each other as, as, as we come into recovery as a statistic, but as a person that has a bleeding, pulsing heartbeat that is begging for real help that and, and they don't know where to go and if you come out on this area of of you've got to work for me to be able to live on a roof no how about you work for yourself and you pay your way hey you've got to be able to do it my way because my way is right it's always right no matter what no how about you tell me what's going on with you and we'll try to scope this around the goals and aspirations and the dreams that you've had and we'll figure it out together we'll go through this one step at a time if your daddy beat you as a kid let me let me get you over here with joey joey was beaten to a pulp as a kid let's have conversation with joey about how he's had to deal with that and, and when you take all of these little these little weights, man, look, I can hold up, I can hold this up right here. I can hold up this newspaper right here. I can hold this up. Now I can probably hold it up just like this for a long time. But regardless if this weighs two ounces over time, that is gonna get really heavy. Yeah. And that's what happens in recovery is hey. Now I got this added to it. This fell. Hey, let me put this envelope here on, on, on it. Now it's even got a little bit more weight. And look, there's yesterday's mail. That was bad news. Let me put that on there. Oh, hold on. I'm on social media, so I got to put my phone and my weight on there. It gets heavier and heavier. Life gets heavier and heavier. And you've got to be able to teach a person that is trying to change your ways how to be able to deal with stuff like that. And it's not by a book, but it's by your personal, what you've gone through, your experiences, what's happened. I'm a firm believer in this, brother. I'm a firm believer that if we want to make real change, then those who are in, who have, and, and I don't believe, you know, you're in recovery when you're in recovery, but there's a point to where you become recovered. You don't want to go back into that. You don't want to live a life of that, and you'll scratch and call and fight and do whatever you can not to be around that and not fall back into that. You are recovered from it. Right now, brother, I am seven and a half years recovered from drugs and alcohol. I ain't never going back to it. It ain't going to happen. I will straight kick you in your teeth if you come at me sideways trying to get me to live a lifestyle that I am free from. It ain't going to happen. But we need to get people that are in recovery fired up about helping another brother or sister out of the pit of hell that they once lived in. We can be on social media all day. Hallelujah, Lord, I hear you calling me right now. You, we can be out here on social media all day long. We can go on here and give likes and follows and pages, but that isn't making a difference. We have people in our own families that are dying because we're not reaching out to them and just letting them know, I love you and I'm here to help you. Whenever you're ready, I'm here to help you. How about this? Well, I've tried, I've tried to reach him and it doesn't work and all this. Okay, then don't stop reaching. Every morning at 8 a.m., I want you to text that person that you love so much that you know has got a limited time. And I want you to text them because every person in addiction has a phone because they want to be connected to the dope man. They want to be connected to the plug. So you text them and you let them know just simply, I love you. 
period, and send it to them. Sooner or later, that person is going to come back at you and go, why are you doing this? And you're going to simply say, because I love you, and I want you to know that, because I don't know if you're going to make it through the day or not. And at least you'll know that I love you, and I'm here to help you as much as I can when you're ready. That's absolutely beautiful, Pastor Jim. And when you address all of these really crucial social requirements that we all have, their needs that we all have, you're removing potential triggers for relapse. And you're giving, you're setting the person up for success. Because you're giving them the tools they need in order to be productive, valuable members of society and built in purpose in terms of helping their fellow brothers and sisters work, which is such a huge part of who we are in this society. And so the comprehensive nature of the way that you're addressing these the these folks is absolutely beautiful. Well, I appreciate it. We want to hit all the things. Everybody has a dream. Everyone at one time was a smiling. There was one point to where the world, the world was a place of adventure. The world was a place of smiles and and laughter. There was that one. There was a time in our life that there was happiness. And when I found that with my experience that there was a normally um, around puberty, things start really changing for individuals. Mm. The tragedies and traumas that happened as a child that we easily forgot simply come back for some reason. And um, I believe wholeheartedly that when a person wants change, Change doesn't happen unless change starts to happen. And a person's going to make a decision that I'm done, I want help, and I'm going to change my life. Mm. They're going, it's it's going to, or it's going to be, I give up and be like my son and put a gun to your head and maybe survive. Um, and maybe I not. Want, and maybe not. And I want people to know out there that there are there are such amazing i want people to look at all options if it costs a ridiculous amount of money then there's a reason why it costs a ridiculous amount of money a pill for another drug is not going to substitute and make life better um on another thing i know there's people out there i get it i believe in medically assisted treatment absolutely i believe in math absolutely I believe in Matt, but I do not believe in long-term Matt. I believe Matt should absolutely help somebody come down to be able to completely be free from anything. I don't believe in long-term medications for anything, not just ju not just um, not just medically ass assisted treatment uh, for drugs or for substance use disorder for for being an, an, an addict. We don't need to listen to everyone tell us, you need this. You need to figure it out for yourself. You, you have to research. You have to look. Where am I spiritually? Okay. 
look at it. Where am I spiritually? Where am I in my life? Am I 45 years old and I have nothing to account for? Okay. Well, let's make some changes to where you can start having. Let's change some behaviors. Let's look at what's holding you back and make those changes and make it to where they don't hold you back. And when you have someone on the outside being able, willing to walk with you and say, here, here's the reins, you lead. I'm going to tell you that I've been down this road before and it didn't work well. Don't go to the left. I suggest we go to the right because I had to come back and go to the right. I'm going to listen to that person if I'm willing to really make change. And guess what? Advice is free. Hope is free. If you find it, dive into it and, and just invest in yourself and find the value that you hold. Every person has such an amazing value and so much to offer this world. And every day we don't realize the opportunity that we're given to make a difference in another person's life. And if there's any encouragement I can give any of your listeners, anyone that's hearing this right now, is take a pause and say, what can I do to make someone's life better today? Just open a door. Say thank you, bless you, love you. Am I going to go above and beyond? Am I going to step over the homeless man or the homeless woman? Or am I going to stop and sit down beside him and go, what's happening, man? I want to like this. What's going on with you, bro? I love that, Pastor Jim, because it's such a great way to invite people to brighten their corner of the world and look it's not always easy i was walking my dog this morning my knee hurts like a son of a gun because yesterday my dog like shape-shifted into the side of my knee my bad knee and so this morning i'm like hopping along on my walk and i'm crabby and i see two women and a dog and it's a beautiful dog but i'm crabby and i know they probably don't like my dog very much i just get that feeling hey jim i just i just get that feeling and i'm thinking in my head those two old bags but you know what i said Mm. what'd you say you two have a beautiful beautiful dog and they smiled big and bright and they petted their dog and I smiled big and bright. And those are those little moments, right? That we can choose to brighten somebody's day, their moment, their hour and embody the spiritual principles that we're trying to learn on a daily basis. You know, all we wanted when we were down in our absolute lowest 
point was for somebody to reach down and love us. Yeah. That's all we wanted. And um, we need to show a lot more love. And if we look at love, um, get pull all the all the worldly crap out of it, pull all the oh, you say you're a pastor and you're swearing and you're cursing. I'm not your normal pastor, and I am not gonna be defined by what they're doing out there that doesn't take a suit to get me to heaven. What it takes is a heart of love to love another brother or sister to be able to make sure that I'm doing what I'm doing. God called me to love people, period. It, it comes down to love, and, and that's love. been my experience. It comes down to how do I get down not, to love? And I say a lot of things that a lot of people, be, well, he's never been to seminary. He's never done this. How can he have tattoos? How can he be divorced five times and be high, be behind the pulpit bringing a message? You want to know why? Because my God is a graceful God that died on the cross for every single person out here to give them the love and inspiration that they need to become a lover and an inspiration and encouragement to every single person out here. It ain't a darn suit. It ain't a tattoo. It's what's in your heart. And if you love with all your heart, your brother or sister, regardless of race, color, creed, it doesn't matter where they come from, how they act, where they were then, it doesn't matter. You love. If they accept the love, hallelujah. Guess what? You're making a difference in their life. If they don't accept the love, you pray for them and you wish them, you wish God to bless them and you let somebody else get it. It's really simple, people. And I am... I'm blessed. I'm beyond blessed, my brother, to to be able to share how Rock House has 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 just really engulfed the whole message of love and and helping a person come out of their hole, come out of their 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 to be broke free from the chains that bind them back without religiosity, without coming in with ideology, just letting you know, hey, I'm here to walk it out with you. And I'm gonna tell you what worked for me. Jesus worked for me. Here's the information, figure it out yourself. Your relationship is between you and God, not me, you and God. Your sins and everything that you've done, you've got to deal with God about it. You don't have to go through me. It's not gonna work. I can't do anything to but God can do everything to change you. And Pastor Jim, I love that Rock House Ministries is centered in love. That is the embodiment of my recovery and what I've learned in recovery thus far is to be of maximum service and to love my brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. So it fills me with joy that Rock House Ministries is centered in that spirit and in that principle. Pastor Jim, we have some closing questions if you're ready. Absolutely. As long as you let me get a cheap plug in at the end. Yes. <laughs> what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? I wake up and immediately thank God for uh, joining me another day. 
I am uh, I'm I come in, I make coffee, take care of my animals, and then I go and sit down with headphones. And I silence out the world and I meditate with my Lord and I have prayer and meditation. It is very important to me that I have my time with my God that is sustains me, that moves me forward, that provides for me. And I want to learn more about him and I want to learn more about what he has in store for me. And when you grab that connection with him, he'll map out your day. Um, then my day goes into, um, uh, I am surrounded by individuals that are working recovery. So I'm in recovery every single day. Um, I'm able to speak to people on a daily, individuals going through, they're in dark places, they're in their feelings, they're in their head. You know, they don't know what to do. So I get to see miracles on a daily basis happen. I get to see breakthrough. I get to see freedom. I get to see victory. So my my daily walk, and this is from the moment that I wake up until 10, 11 o'clock at night, uh, my life revolves around God and around recovery. The, those, those two things is what keeps me, my mindset focused. I have a tenacity about me now that is, um, I'm gonna say unrivaled by others. If you tell me we can't, I'm gonna tell you, no, you're wrong, we can. The question is, how can we? I believe um, that there is, uh, there is great things in store for Rock House. And I believe that every day you have an opportunity to brighten someone's life and make a difference that will forever change their life. And my daily routine is, is my spirit. I am very spiritual. I'm the spiritual approach. If I stay focused on God, if I stay focused on what he has for me, then he is never going to lose focus on me. And he's going to keep me out of trials and temptations and, and keep me, uh, in a very safe and clean and good environment. That's beautiful, brother. I heard prayer, meditation, purpose, love, all amazing things to integrate into our regular recovery routine. Pastor Jim, what book or piece of recovery literature had the biggest impact on your recovery? Okay, so first off, I'll give, got to the Bible really worked with me. I'm, uh, that's my first thing. The second one, I used the, uh, and I still use it today um, in my program. I do use 12 steps, but I use the power to choose. It is uh, by Pastor Mike O'Neill. Um, uh, the power to choose is the Christian approach to the, uh, uh, to the 12 steps. It looks at things totally different. It's insert issue here. Um, I also, uh, I use um, uh, Purpose Driven Life was a big book for me. I really enjoyed Purpose Driven Life. Um, but those are those are the three, if I was to say anything, those are the three. Um, but number one, without a doubt, um, reading the Bible on a daily, growing and learning um, what God is absolutely willing and able to do in our life if we just surrender to him. I love that, Pastor Jim. Three amazing recommendations. 
What is the best piece of advice you've received in recovery thus far? Shut up. <laughs> I'm just going to be real because For we real. come into this, when we come into recovery, we think we know it all. We know what we want. We know what uh, we think we know what's best for us. And I deal with uh, a bunch of that. I deal with a bunch of people that think they that's been to 9, 10, 12, 15 programs or six programs or whatever. And this is how recovery needs to work for me. Well, this ain't going to be a program for you. You can go ahead and, you know, you might want to find another resource because um, that's not how you're going to come into this. You need to come into this quiet and willing. You need to stop talking because it hasn't worked for you. What hasn't worked for you, quit. Come on, you know the saying, you know the old saying, man, come on, you're going in a circle, round and round and round, you know, expecting a different results, you know, and, and it's just insane. So until a person stops what they're doing and hushes their mouth and stops saying, pretending to be God, pretending to be God in their life, and they select and they choose to say, Listen, man, you 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 know what? You got some years sober. I, I think I'm going to just shut up here and I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And maybe, maybe that'll help me. So uh, the biggest advice was because I was such a control freak and such a mouth was, would you just shut up? Just shut up and listen. I love that. And it's super instructive and relevant to my own journey too, Pastor Jim, because when I came into recovery this time, eight plus years ago, I finally closed my mouth and stopped waxing poetically about steps and principles. I had no interest in working. And <laughs> I actually listened to people. I listened to their stories and their stories changed me. Absolutely. I don't want to trip over the same rock the person in front of me just tripped over. I want to let. I want to hear him say, "Hey, there's a rock there. Don't trip over it." All right, I'm not going to trip over that rock. I want to listen to the instruction that you have for me. And when I started listening to my other brothers and sisters that have gone through similar circumstances, and and I started understanding that failure, failure. Listen, I, I want everyone to hear this. Failure has been taught that we. It is a permanent. Thing in our life. Our society has now made that if you fail, you fail forever. And that is so not the truth. I want everyone to take a step back right now and understand this. Hear these words. Failure is an opportunity to learn. Yes. So if anybody out there has a problem with, uh, I can't do this because every time I do it, I fail. Guess what? Failure is one step closer to success. I, I come up with a saying that hit me um, a while ago that um, I was blessed. The Spirit gave me this, that our mistakes are shortcuts to our successes. I love that. I absolutely when, love that. When we learn to look at our mistakes and our failures and the stuff that we messed up on and we choose not to make those same mistakes again and again and again and we choose to get out of that and we choose to move forward and make better decisions then that failure is not owning you you're going to own that failure and defeat failure failure is an opportunity i absolutely love that 
Pastor Jim, what is the greatest challenge you've had in recovery thus far? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, okay, my greatest challenge was, uh, has been, and uh, it is to not put all my efforts into everyone else and forget about me. Um, because I'm wrapped up, you know, 18 hours a day in recovery, there has been some times that I have forgotten about my own self-care, my own, uh, what my needs are yeah. and my recovery. And it becomes very evident out there um, when I start going down a pathway where I am not worrying about Jim anymore. And I am just on this automatic uh, cruise control life thing and not continuing to invest in myself and uh, do my inventory and check myself out. So my biggest challenge that I've had is realizing when I'm forgetting about me mm -hmm. and thinking that everyone else needs uh, they need me and I forget about me. So um, I've had to find that balance. And over time, I believe I've gotten much, much better at finding my balance between my, my, my life is beautiful and wonderful and incredible. It's also very um, tasking and sometimes chaotic. And I still need to invest in me and make sure that I'm taking care of my life, my inner peace, my sometimes like today, I told the wife, I said, hey, why don't we do something crazy? Why don't we go fishing or something? I don't just just instead of just we didn't get to. We had to go do some other things. Uh, but the thought of was, you know what? I need a break. So now I know that tomorrow I'm going to take a couple hours today, tomorrow to be able to invest in me and my wife going out and just having a little bit of fun, something a little different and, and deal with my life and, and, and make sure that I'm taking care of me. Super instructive, Pastor Jim. And I'm glad you invoked the self care because often we can come out of a life where it's extremely self-centered and self-serving and we're liable to completely flip the switch on the other end and overextend ourselves in the spirit of helping our brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. And look, it's noble and it's good work, but lest we forget, and I have to center this in my own recovery, my best purpose is being the best example of recovery I can be on a daily basis. And if I'm overextending myself, and if I'm not taking care of myself, and I'm running myself ragged, I'm not being a very good example, am I? Not at all. What good are you to the sick if you're sick yourself? That's it. 100%. We need, we need to be healthy, and that includes, I mean, absolutely, we've got to take care of ourselves. Um, as, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger he, he gave a, a, a statement, and I, and I live by this. I, I really do my best because my day is so um, tasking, mm -hmm. not a lot of free time. 
there's some days that I just want to sleep in eight, ten hours. I just want to sleep in. But Arnold Schwarzenegger said, you don't need eight hours of sleep. If you need eight hours of sleep, you only need six. If you need eight, sleep faster. <laughs> Which tells me, you know what? It's not about, hey, you need a whole day to yourself. Self-care. Spend a little bit of time more often giving you some self-care. No doubt about it. Pastor Jim, what is your greatest success in recovery thus far? Oh, without a doubt, listening to God and just being a humble servant to him and allowing him to take over my life and do with me as he pleases. And because of that, um, here we have a guy just seven and a half years ago was living in the woods, uh, strung out on dope. And now um, I used to scrounge for pennies on the ground. I used to hang out with a sign, need help. Um, to couch surfing, to begging for beers at the bar. So here I am now, the president, co-founder, with my wife being the CEO and and co-founder of a ministry that is a 501c3, accredited by the Tennessee Department of Corrections, accredited by the Tennessee Department of uh, Behavioral Health. Um with a, a recovery program, two facilities, a sober living home, with I can't even tell you, but there is massive, massive things ahead that only God can do, and it's because of him listening to him. You're going to walk across America. Okie dokie. You're going to pedal a bicycle around America. Okie dokie. You're going to move to Spring City, Tennessee, and build a build a house of recovery in my name on my truth hokey dokey to i can't i'm going to spill the beans a little bit here i'm going to tell you a little bit just a little because i'm under contract and i can't say everything but rock house ministries is going to be on a national television program on a docuseries that is going to be able to show everyone in the nation following a man out of prison into our program and show him, show how his life has changed. And I moved up here in 2019 with $139, my name. And here we are now uh, going to be on uh, showing people how Jesus can change uh, lives and how hope can be shared and how um, I, I, I don't I, I don't know else how to describe it besides um, God's doing a, a miraculous thing. And I hope it opens a lot of eyes to a lot of people. That'll be able to see that you can make an absolute difference in this world just by doing little things. That's absolutely amazing, brother. I cannot wait to see that when it comes out. We have two more questions. The next one's a doozy, and we end with a fun one. What is something you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? 
I have not forgiven myself for um, that I still deal with on a daily for being so trashed and so addicted to dope that um, me and my um, my middle son um, and my first son um, were both born with deformity or not deformity but uh, challenges. Uh, my my middle son was born with cerebral palsy. Um, me and uh, my second wife, uh, my middle son, uh, we were we did drugs the entire time, uh, all the way through the um, six and a half seven month pregnancy. He was born early, premature. He was born with his intestines outside. He was born uh, with tracheal malaysia, subglottic stenosis, gastroschisis. He was um, born with cerebral palsy, brain hemorrhaging. Um, He almost didn't make it. Uh, He challenged, uh, he was challenged his entire um, life um, because um, me and her just did dope. We smoked crack, we did meth. We drank, um, as a matter of fact, when he was born, we were high on meth and LSD. Um, and um, But my God is such an incredible and great God and forgiving God. He's working with me on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son uh, fell into the trap of addiction uh, at 18. Um, and he went right into fentanyl. Um, and he was addicted to pills and fentanyl. He died twice last year, been to prison four times with his, um, with his, um, you know, challenges, his physical challenges and his disability and still went to prison and made it out alive. And I'm glad to say that, uh, even though we, he did rightfully blame and have a lot to say to me about me being such a horrible dad, which I was. I was not a good dad with him. Um, he is now working for me at the ministry. He is clean and sober for a year. And he is, um, he is a director of intake and is f- absolutely doing fabulous living down there in the ministry at the program selling into these men every single day selling into the ladies over the phone getting them in the right direction making sure people get the resources and he has a massive heart to be able to reach out there to those who are struggling with fentanyl and to be able to encourage them and to get them in a place in their mind where they want help. And um, now where I didn't get to see my son, know if he was alive or dead, know if he was how he was at all, I get to see him on a daily basis. And we're reconnecting our relationship together as father and son, uh, forgiving each other, loving each other and moving forward together in a life full of sobriety where before it was a life of hate and darkness and now it's nothing but light and joy and peace and excitement and um i'm still working on that to be able to let that go because i see my son on a daily 
And I see, you know, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't have done all that dope, if you wouldn't allowed all that to happen, he may not have turned out the way he did. But you know what? Just like God used Alex to be able to give me my purpose, my God is using my son for something great that he'll be able to go on after me and make a difference in other people's lives as well. Pastor Jim, that's so incredibly real and equally beautiful. Here's the fun one. What song symbolizes recovery to you? Set Me Free by Casting Crowns. I love it. That's brand new to the Way Out podcast song recommendation list. Set Me Free by Casting Crowns. Check the show notes right now for that song recommendation. We also have a handy link to our curated Spotify playlist. We have contact information for Rock House Ministries and all about Rock House Ministries as well as Pastor Jim's best piece of recovery advice and his recovery literature recommendations. Pastor Jim, I would love for you to give us one last piece about what Rock House Ministries is all about. Rock House Ministries is not about us. We're about you. And every person that comes to us, we understand, is going through a really difficult time. Whether it be drugs and alcohol or it might be abuse, depression, anxiety, it doesn't matter what it is. There's life-controlling issues out there that just grab a hold of us, and sometimes we seem that we can't get out of it. So I'd like everyone to know out there, whether it be with Rock House Ministries or it be with someone else, if you're looking for help, there is help out there. The biggest step you got to do is just put down the pride, put down the, the fear and go and ask a stranger. I highly suggest going to a stranger, going to a stranger and saying, this is my name. This is what I'm dealing with. And I just want to have I, I just need some help. And I, I don't want to go back to my family. I don't want to go back to my friends. I don't want to go back to all that because I've heard it a thousand times. And I maybe need another perspective on what I need to do. Reach out for help, whether it is family. It doesn't matter. Reach out for help. Rock House, we're here. We're open for you. We're here to help you in any way that we can. Once again, we take a very spiritual approach to things. But a realistic approach, because we deal with social issues right at the same time. The world doesn't stop turning because you're going into recovery. It keeps going. And if you're standing still, the world's passing you by. And so for anyone out there that is wanting to make change, what you might be in active recovery and you just are missing a flavor. You're missing something in your stew. You're missing an ingredient, something. Reach out to us. Let's have conversation. Let's make a difference together. Let's have conversation about um, recovery, the approach. If you're having struggles, we'll be more than happy to talk with you. You can reach us at our website at uh, www.rockhouserecovery.com. www.rockhouserecovery.com. You can email us at rockhouse at rockhouserecovery.com. You can uh, pick up the phone and reach out to us 
at area code 423-365-7077. That's 423-365-7077. And um, listen, it's all about making that step. And for those that are in recovery, you feel like you need another ingredient in your recovery, give us a call. Um, and uh, we're an open book. We're here to be able to help others and um, hopefully um, be able to encourage a person to help another behind them, pull them out of the pit that you were once in. That's our goal. Absolutely tremendous, Pastor Jim. All of that information is in the show notes, so check that right now. And Pastor Jim, I do believe that we helped some people right here, right now, during this amazing conversation. So thank you for that, brother. And thank you for sharing all about your journey to and through recovery to this point in Rock House Ministries. Brother, can I can I pray us out? Would you mind if I prayed uh, prayed us out? Please do. Wonderful. Thank you, Father God, for this time, Lord Jesus. Thank you for Charles and the Way Out podcast, Father God. I, I pray over this podcast that it goes out and it reaches millions of people, Father God, just changing their lives, inspiring them, encouraging them to make those small little steps in their life to live down, to go down a pathway of light, getting out of the darkness, Father God. I pray over every individual out here that the spirit of addiction be removed off of them in the name of Jesus. I pray that every spirit that is holding them back, that is binding them and holding them from being becoming the person that you have called them to be, if it is not of you, Father God, I rebuke it and cast it into the pit of hell. I, I pray, Father God, that today, that this, this time that Charles and I have been able to spend together, that it has encouraged someone out there to make a difference in their life. I pray, Father God, that, that the spiritual aspect of having a personal relationship with you will be just put on fire within a person's heart, that they'll that they'll, you know, I just want to get to know you better, Father God. I pray, Father God, that this might be the 335th episode of this podcast. I pray for 3,000 more, Father God, that you will do such a mighty work here that the territory will expand and that it will just reach thousands and thousands of ears that are that are hearing and are listening and leaning towards ways to be able to be removed from that spirit of addiction. Father God, I pray peace and love over every listener here. I pray for every person that they receive the message, and I pray for every person to leave this podcast changed in a positive way for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for such a beautiful prayer, Pastor Jim. And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast land for your ears. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast.com all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, 
Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.